0: Hi, welcome to the second Silicon Sasquatch podcast. Thanks for coming back. My name's Nick Cummings, and with me today is Aaron Thayer. Hello. And Tyler Martin. Hey there. And today's topic deals with the uh, infamous summer drought of gaming, and how gamers and game publishers have been dealing with it. Uh, Tyler, you want to get started?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, we're all familiar with this idea that between, uh, I would say, Spring or like the kickoff of summer and the real kickoff of the holiday season in late September. There's just there's usually no any sort of notable or big name releases. And we're just now finally seeing some sort of compensation for that dead zone because publishers are realizing that people still want to buy games. Well, we're seeing an upkeep in a uh, downloadable content now that we're in the, the broadband generation, I suppose. And also, we're seeing a higher influx of quality games and movie licensed games.
0: Yeah, like for example, this this summer brought us the Ghostbusters game after many many years of delays and changing hands, and uh, games like Red Faction Guerrilla, which were are certifiably popcorn games more than anything else. Uh, infamous Prototype, and basically anything that emphasizes action violence over deep strategy and storyline.
2: Yeah, it seems like there haven't really been any maybe this isn't true, but RPG in-depth type traditional games like that. It's been a lot of action titles like Red Faction and even Wolverine earlier in May.
1: Red Faction strikes me as being this perfect summer game because I did not care about the story at all when I was going through it. Every time Major Mission started, I would skip whatever explanation they were giving me. and just, just like, nope, just want to blow crap up. Don't need you to tell me why. Just tell me what to blow up and how to do it.
2: Some people have kind of knocked on the game for that, but when you go back to the first two, they were like that. There was, sure, a revolution going on around you, but you were still just there to blow the crap out of things.
1: I would say the first two actually tried too hard to have a story there.
2: Yeah, I think that
0: one of the things Red Faction Guerrilla did most wisely was canning the story, basically making it completely unimportant to the gameplay and letting you the, the, the Lots destruction... Lots Yeah. There were a number of cutscenes, but they were short. I mean, there was probably maybe ten minutes of actual exposition in the game. And yeah. you could skip it. And it really let the destruction and the the creativity behind it take center stage, which is really what made it stand out so much.
2: Well, do we see these games coming out? I mean, we've named a few of the um, pretty important ones. And of course, Sims 3 on PC, but that's f- kind of for a different audience. And There's still Batman Arkham Asylum to come out later in August, and so does this actually seem like a summer drought, where it's kind of traditionally called that on consoles, or is it pretty decent so far? I would argue in terms of retail, it is a drought,
0: because all all the games we mentioned, aside from Batman, which hasn't been released, they all came out in June, and Mm -hmm. typically pretty early in June, if not May, like Infamous. And... Since then, it's been almost two months without any real notable retail releases. I mean, you've, there have been big sellers like Wii Sports Resort, but again, that's more of a uh, a general audience type of game. It's not really what you call a core game. Uh, I
1: think the, the key to Wii Resort isn't that it's a, a summer game to make up for that drought. It's Nintendo's Trojan Horse. They want that Wii Motion Plus everywhere, and that's how they're doing it.
0: And maybe they really want to get it into the household before... September, October, November rolls around when more games start
2: to support it.
1: Do we know any other first-party games that are supporting it? No. Oh, Nintendo and their secrets.
2: Well, that's what I read. I heard that um, they weren't really necessarily, and this could be a bunch of crap, but wanting to replace everything or put Motion Plus in every single game. They'll put it in if it works, but it, it seems very strange to put out this new peripheral that's supposed to enhance the motion capabilities that they've said couldn't be done during the release of the Wii, but then kind of act like, well, well, we'll work on it if we want to.
0: It sounds like it's a lot less, being seen as a lot less essential than the expansion pack was for
2: the, the, the rumble 64. pack, things like that.
0: Well, the rumble pack wasn't essential, but it was certainly used in a lot of games, but the expansion pack was required to run like, Majora's Mask, and if you wanted to play Perfect Dark single Perfect player, Dark, you needed yeah. it.
1: The rumble pack made that controller so heavy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I just killed the conversation there
0: That's okay I was just remembering playing Goldeneye with that uh, <laughs> Damn Nintendo
1: and their heavy controllers
2: So if we're thinking that the retail Space is, is kind of a typical Drought or not as Robust as it could be um, Well how's it looking on the DLC side
0: I would argue better than ever Last summer was the first Officially dubbed uh, Xbox Live Summer of Arcade which is when A lot of the Uh, the big name arcade games came out because there weren't really many uh, big retail releases coming around. And that was the summer that brought us Geometry Wars 2 and probably most notably uh, Castle Crashers and Braid which are still two of probably the most uh, iconic games on the Xbox. Yeah. And I think this summer we're seeing um, just as many high quality games coming out on Xbox Live Arcade but also it looks like PS3 is uh, the PlayStation Network is keeping up.
2: Yeah, the PlayStation Network, luckily, also had Battlefield 1943, which um, Xbox got and PC will later, but, I mean, that's been a great game, and it's surprising how much they put into a DLC, not DLC, but an arcade title, um, and it really seems like these games are getting more and more complex compared to just releasing a Pac-Man variation.
0: Yeah, the only thing limited with Battlefield 1943 is the map selection. Right. Other than that, it looks and feels and plays just like a full retail release. And for 15 bucks, I think that EA has demonstrated there's a market for that kind of sectioned-off portion of a full game that's sold in a bite-sized chunk for a summer audience. Mm-hmm. Sony
1: isn't slacking with their first party releases either. Uh, Fat Princess just came out, and they just had a major expansion for Wipeout called Wipeout Fury.
0: Yeah, and then there's this game Shatter, which I guess is kind of like an Arkanoid or Breakout-style game, which is getting garnering some serious critical acclaim. I haven't played it yet, but... Do we know if that's first party? I think it's third, but I don't know for sure. I mean, I I know Sony publishes a lot of those games, but...
2: Well, what else has been coming out this summer? It's been pretty good, I would say. I mean, I know the answer to that. Secret of Monkey Island, which I never got to try originally. Um, the re- re-release and remake was absolutely fantastic, and that was something great to have on both PC and Xbox, Explosion Man, you guys have played it. I don't. I don't really know too much about it. I'm kind
1: of surprised Summer of Mon- or uh, Monkey Island wasn't con- included in the Summer of Arcade titles.
0: Me too. I mean, it, I think it released the week before they officially began the Summer of Arcade.
2: Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Summer of Arcade, has a lot of remake titles in it, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, Turtles in Time is coming out this week, which thankfully was dropped down to ten bucks from
2: fifteen. Oh, it was.
0: Yeah, and. um then there's Trials HD. I guess, is Trials an established franchise? I haven't really heard of it.
1: I've never even heard of it. It seems, if anything's going to be a dud for this, a case, it's probably going to be that.
0: I think so. Although, Monkey Island doesn't look like it's done too strongly either. I haven't checked the leaderboards recently, but about a week ago, I think there were only 50,000 people on. Yeah. But uh, when you factor in Steam and PC sales on top of that, it probably that's probably not that bad. Is it
1: coming out for Wii 2, or is that just the episodic Monkey Island?
0: That's just the episodic, and that just dropped, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. It's Such a
1: weird thing that they're the way they're mixing that up.
0: Yeah, I really wish Telltale would put their games on as many platforms as they can. It doesn't make sense to me to have Wallace and Gromit on the Wii and PC only, but and then to put like Sam and Max. Wallace and Gromit and,
1: is on Xbox Live. Oh,
0: sorry, I meant Wallace and Gromit on 360, and then having like Strong Bad and Monkey Allen only on Wii. PC gets all of them, but it still seems like a weird distribution to me. Like, why why make that judgment call? I wonder,
1: especially in America, who is, like, a dedicated Wallace and Gromit fan at this point?
0: Who's also on Xbox Live?
1: <laughs> yeah. I- I'd love to see the overlap in that Venn diagram.
0: Yeah. But I will say that Telltale really nailed it with, uh, Tales of Monkey Island. at least the first episode. It's... I've, I've played all the Sam & Max episodes into the middle of Season 2, and, uh... I played a little bit of Strong Bad and a little bit of Walson Grommet, and Monkey Island is by far their best effort. Especially after uh, playing it before and after I was playing The Secret of a Monkey Island remake, it felt really, really true and authentic to its source material.
2: It seems like a lot of the games that, like we were mentioning, Red Faction... Ghostbusters I haven't played, so I can't really speak to that, but Red Faction definitely did feel like a blockbuster title, and it can be argued that maybe some games are going that direction in the type of summer blockbuster movie anyway, but that's something else. As far as summer, like there really haven't been that many retail releases, but it seems like there have been a lot of summer blockbuster arcade games and PlayStation Network and PC games. Is that kind of how things are going to go, you think? Or? I can't wait
1: for Michael Bay to make the Red Faction movie.
2: <laughs> oh man. I hope I hope uh um Martin I hope the Rock is in it. I hope Martin is in it. Martin Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> I hope
0: there's a get your ass to Mars reference. <laughs> um I think what we've seen is that the the downloadable games and retail games kind of coexist but they inhabit different spaces and they kind of cater to different uh I guess, demands, and I I think it's kind of a a situation where downloadable games are kind of subordinate to whatever is on the retail market for the week. Like, you don't want to be trying to release a really polished and high-quality Xbox Live Arcade or PSN game uh, the same week that Modern Warfare 2 comes out, because most consumers are going to have been saving for Modern Warfare 2 and want to buy that and not want to bother with anything else at the same time.
1: I'm going to go on a bit of a speculation tangent right here, where I think that downloadable is most definitely the future. And the number one thing, the number one obstacle right now, especially in America, is broadband penetration. But as technology grows, I think we'll even see a point where, if we do have the next generation of consoles, they might even have internet just built into the device. Not like an Ethernet port, but just continuous wireless, so you can, can download no matter where you are, no matter whether or not you have broadband internet.
0: Kind of like a, a uh, when they put a, like a 3G modem into a laptop or into... Yeah those consoles they have in, like, South America?
1: Yeah, like a like a, like a Kindle, but, like, like a Kindle, like, you can only do limited things with it. There's not going to be a browser, there's not going to be anything like that, and if you want to play online, you'll probably need a hard connection, but in terms of just downloading titles, you'll probably be able to do that over their wireless, and they'll probably subsidize that with the titles themselves.
0: That would make sense, but I would still be surprised to get... Uh, the same argument stands, because even though broadband penetration is... Not nearly as common as we would think in the United States It's also the mobile phone networks are also lagging behind the rest of the world I mean, look at AT&T as a prime example of You've got millions of iPhones out there But AT&T still doesn't enable multimedia messaging uh, Which any cell phone from like 2000 on can do And uh, phone tethering for using it as a, a modem is still blocked here Whereas most other countries can already do that The U.S. is really lagging behind in infrastructure, mostly for business reasons, and I think it's going to be the biggest obstacle for
2: digital distribution. Yeah. Watch for Xbox Cloud coming in 2015.
1: I was actually really excited by that rumor that proved false about the the PlayStation Cloud where you'd be able to keep your saves online. That would be so handy.
2: Steam has that small kind of version of that now where at least settings and some things are saved to the servers. Even Gears of War 2 I noticed kept achievement tracking and things when my console was stolen and I um, put the game back in and so on and so forth. I noticed that it had kept I don't know, if on their servers, Microsoft's, whatever, had kept some of those achievement tracking things, which, you know, there's there are little bits of that here and there, and it will be interesting to see where it goes.
1: I think Halo 3 is the same way. I remember looking at my hard drive, and I couldn't find an actual Halo 3 save anywhere. I think they just keep track of your progress and your created characters on whatever database uh, Bungie uses.
0: I think that's certainly going to be, become the standard in the future. I mean, Call of Duty 4 did that for its multiplayer component, and... uh I think it's probably the first step we'll see is that you'll you'll start to see game saves, settings, all those basic uh, data files pertinent to your, your game stored on an external server, kind of like how Steam Cloud does it mm-hmm. and uh, I think it'll just kind of grow from there to the point where maybe the majority of your content is accessed on demand
2: I suppose that talking about the future of um, downloadable games, the thing that worries me a little bit, or could be a good thing Um, You see that this summer with some of the games coming to the different networks um, and the complexity within them, whereas before, you know, I mean, Xbox calls their section arcade, and arcade kind of, I would say, connotates a little bit of a simplistic outlook. I mean, some arcade games are definitely complex, but when you think of an arcade, I at least think of Pac-Man. But this summer, a lot of the games have been extremely complex and doing things that you wouldn't really expect Uh, downloadable titles to do and if they start doing that down the line if um, downloadable games start kind of not necessarily replacing retail but start getting in on that space i mean will they just become full featured games i mean isn't that just kind of converging and i i don't know that kind of worries me to be honest
1: i think the arcade moniker is definitely something you're going to see go away in in due time and i think games on demand is going to be the start
0: of that yeah I think you're right, and we've already seen the Xbox community games change into indie games with this new dashboard update. Mm-hmm. Which kind of that is not going to help. It's not. What? What do you mean?
1: <laughs> uh, there's no marketing. Microsoft doesn't care about the indie games. Uh, Q. My Kanye West. Uh, Microsoft doesn't care about black people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they have done nothing to market the games themselves. I think the entire idea of indie games, it's just a goodwill gesture more than anything else, that they don't actually care about selling these games.
2: I, I'd agree with that, honestly. I don't expect Microsoft or anybody doing that type of thing to just throw money at it, but they were talking up the XNA platform long before it was readily available, and then once it is now, it's kind of like, well, you're on your own.
1: Yeah, they were talking about Live Anywhere, too, and we're still waiting for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still think that the community games... Or any games platform is a phenomenal portal for people to start developing games. I just there, there's been absolutely no marketing on Microsoft's behalf. I bet most people with an Xbox and an Xbox Live don't even
2: know it's even there. Well, it would seem to me a lot of people would rather put their efforts into the iPhone App Store.
1: Well, there's so much shovelware on the Xbox Live Marketplace too. Like you have like the the relatively pornographic vibrating game,
2: which is <laughs> hey, still in the top hey. ten selling list. Love that game.
1: It reminds me of those like throwaway DVDs you see at Best Buy, like log burning on a fire or uh, high definition
0: aquarium.
2: Celtic, <laughs> yeah, Celtic uh, fireplace music.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually have not played a single game on there that was worth the effort. But
1: I downloaded that Weapon of Choice game that got a lot of buzz because it was made by an ex-insomniac developer, and yeah, it did not strike me very well at all.
0: Yeah, I, I I worry that it's almost made obsolete by Xbox Live Arcade, which just has slightly higher requirements for development and quality assurance.
1: You say slightly higher, but from what I hear, like the hoops that you have to jump through for an Xbox Live Arcade game are pretty high.
0: It's still pretty high for the community games, too, though.
1: They don't need things like achievements. Uh, there's a lot of restrictions around like how your menu is set up and content, that sort of thing.
0: That's true. Every Xbox Live Arcade game has the same... Uh, how to play, controls, settings every, all The menus are always identical yeah, I
1: think community games, they're peer-reviewed, aren't they? I don't think Microsoft actually reviews anything They are mm-hmm. I, I remember reading at some point, though That's actually why some PSN developers Have moved over to PSN is just because they have a, a bit more freedom To make games on there than they would on Xbox Live Marketplace
0: Well, there's certainly more freedom in terms of trophies In terms of pricing
1: Hell, it's probably why Trine is on there, but not Xbox Live
2: Which is a shame Things like Everyday Shooter and Flow, Flow, Flower. I think
0: was the that's still my favorite PSN game. It's something that really just couldn't have been done on 360 control wise, and really, I don't think you'd ever see Microsoft approve a game like that. They might approve
1: it, but they probably wouldn't promote it as well as Sony did with Flower.
0: No, that was really the game that made me ha- made me content with my PS3 purchase. Though I I was blown away by Flower.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's definitely a, a defining PSN game in terms of like hardcore gaming it's it's definitely up there a lot of people say it's it's not this uh shining beacon of approachability and uh casualness that people were hoping for like it's not the girlfriend game people were looking for but it it's definitely something nice to show off like it's very high fidelity enough to where a stranger can see I'm like wow that is that is impressive
0: actually it was the first and only ps3 game my girlfriend played <laughs> Touche your results may vary.
2: Well, uh, getting back on track, um, there was we were talking about um, the summer drought kind of historical term. Do you think that has it always been like that? I mean, there have always been exceptions to the rule. I mean,
0: Chrono Cross stands out in my mind as one of the biggest releases ever in the summer.
2: I don't
1: remember that even being big, though. Uh, there was very loose definition with between it and Chrono Trigger.
0: I'm only talking big in the sense that the game was complex and deep, and it was a full-fledged RPG, like up there with the Final Fantasy games, and it didn't sell like a Final Fantasy, it wasn't buzzed like one, but it was still a substantial game. No,
1: it sold like a Chrono Trigger.
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Which now sells through the roof on DS, but... No, it hasn't, that's it. why it
1: dropped at 20 bucks. Square Are even said, uh, if you want to see a sequel to Chrono Trigger, then you have to buy more Chrono Trigger on DS.
0: I am not buying the game for a third time. <laughs> well, yes I am.
2: I I find it really I find it really interesting that the whole, you know, talking about the summer drought thing, Well Square was totally playing into that years ago. They had their summer of adventure with all of those big RPG releases that summer. Yeah, and how many were terrible? Uh one. Hey, Vagrant Story was pretty good.
0: It, Threads of Fate was mediocre, but I love Legend of Mana and, Thre- and Vagrant Story, and Chrono Cross was without a doubt the best game of that year.
1: I think you're alone with Legend of Mana, but I'll definitely agree with Chrono Cross. Vagrant Story was great, but I just I thought the whole system was very unapproachable.
0: It was like playing a modern hack-and-slash with archaic D&D rules. It was really confusing at first, but...
1: The biggest pain for me was having to keep track of which weapons specialize, because you got bonus for using a weapon repeatedly on a certain enemy type and you right as you got it like perfect to where you could do massive damage on a certain type of enemy your weapon would break then you would just throw your controller against the wall and just curse that game
0: well, there was a reason i never beat it it was frustrating as hell to keep track of all that stuff and you know to maintain an arsenal of this weapon against this guy got to jump into the menu and switch weapons it was infuriating but presentation wise and it, it was way ahead of its time.
1: Well, that's something Yasunori Matsuda is known for. I mean, look at Final Fantasy thirteen, That game was spectacular, but it also has kind of fallen apart with the rules upon rules upon rules, and it just dragged on forever.
0: Do you mean twelve?
1: Yeah, my bad. Twelve.
0: Yeah, thirteen looks more like a return to form of like seven and eight.
1: Well, I know versus thirteen is headed up by Tetsuya Nomura of uh, Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy Seven fan.
0: That could be fun, if it ever comes out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think
1: that he's played a minor role in the actual Thirteen, probably just like character development, and some story influence, but the gameplay definitely it actually seems relatively similar to Chrono Cross.
2: Well, it it looks to me like in terms of summer releases, you you do actually get a lot of big names coming out over the years. If you look at different release dates, and they may be the only one within that summer, but you know. I think it's a it's an advantageous place for some developers to release their games. Red Faction was kind of an interesting um, release because it coincided with E3, and it might have hurt it a little bit. But the game seems to be doing well, and you, Sold know, a you would want to release. Yeah, you would want to release your game in a time where you know there aren't as many other big titles to compete with. But it doesn't necessarily make it a backlog title if it's released in the summer. Banjo Kazooie was hyped up before it was released. It may not have been this giant blockbuster at the time, but things like that. Star Fox 64, um, Goldeneye was talked about long before, and that came out in August.
0: I think Red Faction might be probably the best example of a, a gamble paying off on the summer prototype release schedule. What about Prototype?
1: Uh, that game has sold very well. It was very highly ranked in the NPDs, and it also is kind of a epitome of a, a summer blockbuster game, where it's very mindless, very fun. It's Just tearing around the city, chopping people in half, throwing tanks around.
0: That's not a good example. I mean, maybe it's just a matter of tastes differing in the summer. I mean, that's why you see all the big action movies come out in the summer.
2: Yeah, it did look and play a lot like an action movie.
0: I think it's just a change in consumer mentality. They don't want to, you know, suffer through some really deep emotional plotting storyline. They want to rip shit up and see things explode Michael Bay style.
1: So how come Geekers Award doesn't come out in the summertime?
2: It's more high profile. Uh, well, I'll, I mean, yeah, and I think people do want that type of balls-out action, oh my god, so many explosions, my eyebrows are singed, type of thing coming out, and, you know, Wolverine, X-Men Origins Wolverine was a good example of that, tied right in with a movie, did its own thing, but you expect that from a Wolverine game to just be... Decapitations and blood and everything and no real story though. That's not fair to the comics, I suppose.
0: But one thing I really want to point out before we move on about Red Faction is I think they made a really big gamble releasing on E3 week, which I don't think many games have done in the past. But I think mm-hmm. why it succeeded is because it, they knew it was a game that was only going to succeed by word of mouth. the The previous Red right. Faction game had been terrible, and the first one had been kind of a sleeper hit. And I think they were wise to pick a time when more gamers than ever were all talking about gaming at the same time. It was probably, you know, one of the weeks where there was more discussion than Mm -hmm. ever.
2: Many websites, too, had advertisements for the E3 live stream for Red Faction right there in front of people.
1: I wonder how much of that, though, was uh, THQ actually trying to place Red Faction at a good time, because the Red Faction developers have said that THQ basically failed to promote this game. Maybe it was just a right time, right place scenario where THQ left it to die, but it was at a time where there wasn't a lot going on and it was just this perfect storm for Red Faction.
0: It certainly wasn't the most uh, reliable time to release a game like that, but I think it certainly worked out in their favor. A million copies is nothing to laugh at. Do we know what the budget was for that title? Uh, It must have been massive. They spent five years just developing the engine. Five years?
1: That means they made both uh, Saints Row titles in the span of that game. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's about how long GTA 4 took.
1: Yeah, but Red Faction's not nearly on the scale of uh, GTA 4.
2: No,
0: it's really not. But I think that that engine is going to really pay off for them in the long run, just based on how, according to them, it's going to grow as technology evolves.
1: Yeah, hopefully they'll just give us something more nice to look at than uh, the terrain landscape of Mars.
0: Yeah, it was kind of monotonous after a while.
1: (laughs) You didn't enjoy the different shades of red?
0: I I did like it when it turned purple, but then it kind of turned to a light purple, and that was when I was
2: ready to be done with the game. (laughs) I kind of find it... I I was just going to say about Red Faction Destruction, I kind of found it funny that the engine wasn't really the technology behind it. Um, You knew about it just from the concept and watching videos, but they didn't really talk about it that much, aside from a few trailers. But then you hear. I remember when Force Unleashed came out, they were talking about digital molecular matter, up the wazoo. But it seems like um, Volition's technology is way more impressive than what was in Force Unleashed. The Force Unleashed was a huge letdown from its concept video.
0: Yeah, I felt more empowered playing the old Jedi Outcast games than playing the Force Unleashed for whatever reason.
1: Well, because when you used your lightsaber on people, their limbs actually came off. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't going for that. Well, maybe it was a teen rating, but it certainly was more visceral, using the buzzword of the day. What about uh, portable games? It seems like there's been kind of a deficit of those titles, and you think that summer would be perfect for portable games with people traveling all over the place. The only big uh, portable game I feel like I've seen is, uh, like, they had a Shin Megami Tensei game, but that whole franchise is a bit of a a sleeper franchise.
0: The only real major portable release I can think of was actually Rolando 2 on iPhone, which is... I haven't played it yet, because it's $10, which seems exorbitant for the iPhone. Apparently sales haven't
1: been that hot for it.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it dropped. But that's supposed to be just a stellar demonstration of what the platform can do. Just a really good, cohesive, fun game. Uh, but other than that, the only other major releases I can think of are like Rock Band Unplugged for PSP, which I was pretty mediocre on. Have you played it? Yeah.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's tanked in terms of sales. It's such a shame that Sh- Sony cannot figure out how to sell a game on
0: that platform. It really is, because there are a ton of PSPs out there, but the software sales are just so...
2: Well, they'll blame pirating, too, I'm sure.
0: But the fact is, there really isn't much worth investing 30 or 40 bucks in.
1: Yeah, the games are definitely overpriced for what they do, save for maybe, like, God of War.
0: Even that, I wasn't... I mean, I would pay 20 bucks for that now, but I, based on the demo alone, I wasn't very... You could pay 20 bucks for it
1: now. I think it's a great asset. Yeah,
0: it is. And I might. But, I don't know. Other than Crisis Core, I can't really think of a game that delivered on the full retail value.
1: Uh, I, I really enjoyed Crisis Core a lot. I'd love to see another game like that. Hopefully, uh, Ajito 13 will live up to it.
0: Which one's the, the fighter on PSP?
1: Dissidia. That's coming out in uh, late August, early September, I think. <laughs> it, it seems like it's more uh, Power Stone than Street Fighter, though.
2: Oh, that could be fun. Well, that's a game that needs to be remade or sequelized. I still have the sour
0: taste of Air Gaze in my mouth, so I hope it's a little bit better than that. <laughs> I think there is a
1: there is a Power Stone for PSP. It's like the first two games, bundled together,
0: And then there's a Soul Calibur release coming to PSP, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, that looks pretty stellar.
2: So we were, we're kind of talking about um, this whole kind of comparing games to movies things now. Is it possible that in the future games themselves will come out in a movie-like schedule where you have, you know, with movies you expect the the blockbusters in the summer like we were talking about and then other films um, interspersed throughout the year? Do you think that's going to be an adoption? or? I think we already kind
0: of see that. I wouldn't say it's as concrete a trend as it is with movies, but you kind of expect the Oscar contenders to come out in the fall just to get some buzz right before Oscar season begins to build. But I wouldn't say it's quite as uh, consistent with gaming yet.
2: Well, yeah, because it's kind of a it's an awkward comparison in the terms of Oscars are way more important than the hundreds of video game awards. It's not that it doesn't matter to some p- publishers and developers because they'll slap it on their box. <laughs> like, even, you know, the, the win they get of it, they'll slap it on the next uh, factory boxes. But, yeah, I don't really necessarily see too many games starting to tailor their releases around review time
1: i'm not sure it's necessarily an app comparison if because if you look at the whole idea of the summer blockbuster it's like summer is a good time for movies because they were one of the first entertainment experiences to be in this contained specifically Mm -hmm. air-conditioned environment so people Mm -hmm. were getting away (laughs) from the heat and enjoying something stupid like jaws Whereas games, you're pretty much stuck in your own home and you're limited by whether or not you, in fact, have air conditioning.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. Winter's
1: a good time for them just because everyone's competing for the the holiday dollars, the, the gifts.
0: I think, at least in America, the, the consensus behind summer is that it's best spent not at home. And w- whether or not that's in a building watching a movie is a completely different story. But if you're sitting at home playing a game when it's nice out, it's kind of
2: like. It's a stigma.
0: Not only that, I kind of feel like I'm wasting my time more so than when it's all rainy and stormy out in the the winter, and I kind of feel like curling up with a book or playing a a longer RPG type of game. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but...
2: No, I'd I'd agree with that. I mean, in the summer, uh, well, I should say that a lot of the time, you know, when you're a kid and you're in the summer um, from school on break and you're doing lots of things outdoors but at least i played a lot of games during the summer too because you have the chance when you're an adult and you know if games are more readily available through download then you can play them anytime you will play longer games kind of when it's not as nice outside son's a jerk he's overrated anyway after this summer i am so done with the
0: sun. i mean it got to what 103 in seattle yep which is hotter than ever
2: yeah Northwestern people aren't used to this. Yeah,
1: it's the it's the new record for Seattle Highs. I enjoyed it by being in a, con- a contained, air-conditioned environment, looking outside thinking, that probably sucks right now.
2: <laughs> nah, I'm not going to go
0: outside. So, should we try and wrap this up, maybe? We haven't talked about DLC at all. Oh, um, yeah, let's get to that. Operation Zeta comes out this week. Ooh. Yeah, in terms of DLC, there's been quite the uh, quite the output of high-profile add-ons. I mean, the all-fronts pack for Gears of War 2 dropped, which I guess is kind of a big deal. Is it selling
1: well, or do we know that?
0: I have no idea. I would assume that the people who are still playing Gears of War 2 have snatched it up. But it might be a little too soon to judge. But, I mean, Fallout has seemed to do reasonably well with its constant uh, mm-hmm. releases. And I guess the PS3 DLC is coming soon as well, if it isn't already started. But Rock Band, I know don't groan, but Rock Band's seen some really big releases too, I mean, Green Day finally came to the game uh, there was this the Iron Maiden 12 pack, which for for anyone who really loves this, the more challenging songs, that was probably the biggest thing since The Who.
1: Weezer had some more songs that's one of those yeah. games that's great more songs that are great for parties because everyone knows Weezer.
0: Weezer is probably the best purchase I've ever made in Rock Band or one of them. Getting the sweater song was so worth it.
1: New Vegas doesn't come out until next year, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's a a fall of 2010.
1: God, it's going to be a long way between Operations Data and New Vegas.
0: Yeah, if if you're like me, you'll probably replay the whole game between now and then.
1: I I have uh, beaten that game three times now. I've probably spent about 150 hours in uh, the capital wasteland.
2: Wow,
0: (laughs) I've
1: only beaten it twice. I'm not even proud.
2: I'm proud for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's more than I did even with Oblivion, I think. I got, like, maybe 120 hours out of Oblivion on right. two playthroughs.
1: I've heard of people spending more time in Oblivion. I'm almost glad I haven't played that, but I just picked up the Game of the Year version, so who knows, oh. maybe that'll be my next uh, 100-hour epic.
0: I think at the very least, you'll really like The Shivering Isles. That was an example of a really, really good add-on.
1: That's post-game content, right?
0: No, you can access it at any point. Hmm. You can even start your game... By going straight to the uh, Shivering Isles section at level 1. And since the enemies scale in that game, there's no reason not to if you want to do it. I wonder if that would still be pretty balanced. Uh, I did it. Because um, I I'd beaten Oblivion on PC, and then I got the 360 game of the year. And did Shivering Isles first, and it worked fine for me.
1: I'm not sure if this would qualify as DLC, but uh, one of the interesting ways that uh, DICE is promoting Battlefield is they had the whole uh, milestones for the new maps. Getting people to play more by, like, was it a certain number of kills or wins or people? 43
2: million kills on each platform. And technically, it's not DLC since it was included. You just unlocked it or the community unlocked it. Oh, so it's already in the game. Like, you don't have to download anything new for it? Yeah, yeah. there was
0: no patch or anything. It just unlocked when the milestone was hit.
1: I wonder if that's going to be the case with the other maps, too. That seems kind of odd.
2: I don't know if they said anything else about other maps. If they but do, they'll probably. Do a, maybe a map map pack like Call of Duty, but I don't know for sure.
0: At least Battlefield had the install base to make that happen. I mean, look at Nobi Nobi Boy. Uh, it took weeks just to get to the moon, and I think they had to manually unlock Mars because people stopped playing it because the game unlocks new maps based on how far everybody stretches their boy. It's yeah, totally totally messed up. But what no. do
1: you do on the new maps? You just the same thing you do on the original map.
0: Just yeah. fart around. I can't really see that game it i mean it's more of a toy than a game anyway. I don't really see it having enduring value
1: it It was fine for the price, but yeah they, there's just not no real appeal there i feel like
0: no it was it was fun for five bucks, and I'm glad I got to play it. but I think Battlefield's a much better example of how those community goals they really they i think they add to the experience. you really feel like you know I should jump on and get a few more kills and help unlock this map faster even if it's only a small fraction of the $43 or whatever that it took, I still thought it was kind of a a cool uh, thing to watch as people, you know, work toward that milestone. I wonder if we'll start to see that being the trend of major games, even up to, like, something like a Call of Duty. Possibly. I
1: think that Activision is morally opposed to the idea of giving something away for free that they could be selling.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Valve, then? Well, it could... Well, Valve, I mean community unlock especially
1: the way they track stats you could have milestones for all sorts of ridiculous Mm -hmm. things
2: well i yeah it would require an infrastructure something like um dice and ea and the battlefield franchise all of the stat tracking that has been in there since really two i mean the battlefield vietnam in 1942 didn't really have much they were just servers Um, But yeah, you would require stat tracking, so something like Call of Duty would be more feasible than, say, I don't know, just a random online shooter. A Steam stat that
1: I want to see tracked is number of hours players have spent staring at Alex's ass.
2: (laughs) You don't want to see that? The man hours involved in that, you know, probably could go into a public works project. (laughs) You know,
0: we could be giving sick
2: kids hospital
0: beds and toys, but, you know, we can we can figure out how, many, how much time people have spent fantasizing about it. I used up all my it.
2: volunteer hours this year staring at her butts.
0: I wonder if Blizzard tracks how much time people spend rotating their, char- their female night elves in the character selection screen on World of Warcraft. Time or
2: danced.
1: <laughs> yeah, clicking uh, slash dance.
2: Oh, God. Um, as far as other DLC for... This summer, I I really don't I haven't seen that much. It doesn't seem like it's been that high profile of a thing. Point Lookout did come out in June, and we talked about Zeta coming out in just a few days. Um, but and then Gears of War, as I don't really know. I, it seems like the arcade DLC, PlayStation Network, so on and so forth, games themselves are more of of more importance than DLC in the summer.
1: Killzone's final map pack just came
2: out. That did too. Okay. Sorry, many people
0: I... are playing that still?
1: I think it's right behind SOCOM in terms of uh, most number of people playing online on
0: PSN. Wow. I will never understand the dedication people have for SOCOM. It's just such an intense Especially commitment. since Confrontation had so many problems. Try and play ARMA
2: and then get back to me. Oh, no thanks.
0: I think the biggest sort of downloadable add-ons we've ever seen... I think I would I would argue it's something like uh The Lost and Damned and the mm-hmm. successor to that, the Battle of Gay Tony, isn't coming out till the fall, I
2: think. Which is an interesting fall not, but the February release of uh or January of um Lost and Damned. That's February. Was it February? I can't remember. Yeah.
0: but it was early in the year, right before it was mm-hmm. before Resident Evil.
2: Still haven't beaten
1: that. Resident Evil? No, uh, GTA uh Lost and Damned.
0: Oh. I had a blast with it. It definitely seems like
1: Battle of Tony is sort of making up for the schedule they had uh, in the previous generation, where we had a new GTA every year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I really don't think we'll see a new GTA, a full-fledged out one, until
2: later in 2010. And it was February, by the way. Okay. I think
1: at best we'll, we might see a new island for uh, GTA 4 next year.
2: Well, they are supposed to be doing three, well, rumored to be doing three expansions, so
1: their deal with microsoft was only two right so would that other one be xbox and ps3
2: i wouldn't speculate on that because (laughs) i really have no idea the way things go
0: i wouldn't be shocked if all three landed on psn by the end of next year oh yeah let's not even get into the nebulous definition of exclusive
2: well yeah it's timed is the general consensus
1: it would still be a kick in the balls for Microsoft, considering they, they pretty much financed the whole project.
2: Was it supposed to be $50 million? $50 to- million. Dollars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you think they even
0: sold 5 million or 2.5 million copies of Lost and Damned? Not
1: a chance.
0: I, w- I would believe a million. I would believe 2 million even, but... Well,
1: if you combine it with the sales of Ballad of Gay Tony, yeah. who knows if it's going to do nearly as well as Lost and Damned.
0: Well, all they really care about is moving another couple million Xboxes out the door and to the PlayStation, so maybe in that sense it paid off, but who knows.
1: I don't know, did Microsoft really do a great job of promoting Lost and Damned? You didn't see any bundles, you didn't really see any major advertisements anywhere. I saw, there was like a little there bit of commercials.
2: commercials. I saw, yeah, I saw advertisements. It, it wasn't as big of a campaign as you might expect for even a DLC of Grand Theft Auto, but it, it was there
1: what is Micro Rockstar even working on at this point like Elliot Noir is still in development uh, Gun agents not Gun that agent, PS3 sorry. exclusive is supposedly coming
0: mm-hmm. I think Red Dead Redemption is going to be their biggest title of the year really
2: of next year is it next year it was it was pushed back
0: oh that's a bummer I'm actually really looking forward to that just based off the first trailer Red Dead Revolver wasn't special but you tried Call of Wires? I played the first one and didn't like it but the sequel sounded pretty good
1: I'm not sure how much of a market there is these days for a Western game.
0: I would love to see a Western game do well, though, because it's one of those, you know, staples of American literature that hasn't really been tackled well in a game ever since Sunset Riders, which was arguably the best ever. Hey now,
1: Outlaws for the PC by LucasArts was fantastic.
0: (laughs) I'm just hoping that Brutal Legend brings back a renaissance of metal games when we finally get a Full Throttle sequel.
1: Was Full Throttle really metal? Oh yeah, that oh, was more of uh, a a biker fantasy than anything.
0: It was, but it had a oh, completely original metal soundtrack, and
1: I don't uh, want to see any full throttle uh, follow-up without Tim Schafer, though.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. It seems like Tim Schafer has put his efforts into uh, Brutal Legend as kind of a I wouldn't. It's not a bike game, but it's kind of a successor. It seems like spiritually. Oh, yeah.
0: absolutely, and I think it's going to be even if it's not the most polished game to play, it's still gonna... the personality's there, and that's really what matters for his games.
1: If we're gonna see a follow-up to any Tim Schafer game, I'd rather see a Groove Fandango follow-up. Me too. That would be a great summer release.
0: That would be perfect. That, that game was probably the first to really combine a really great, distinctive art style with music, writing, and puzzles. It was just... I would argue it was probably the the first perfect adventure game.
1: What time of the year is Day of the Dead, anyway?
0: It's, uh, no- is it November? November 3rd? November 5th?
1: So certainly not a summer release, then.
0: No. It came out on the Day of the Dead, I think. In 1997 or 8.
1: Uh, no wonder that thing tanked. Yeah.
0: It got Game of the Year from GameSpot, even against, I think, StarCraft, but, um, it didn't sell well.
1: I don't think StarCraft could even be considered Game of the Year when it first came out. A lot of the the praise that game gets and a lot of the just love for it has because of Battle.net and because of how the game is held up competitively.
0: Yeah. Well, we're kind of off track again. Should we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm actually going to close it out. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks, Aaron, Tyler, for coming on and helping make some sense of this stuff.
2: Oh, you're most welcome.
1: I think we actually made it more confusing.
0: Yeah, but at least we... at least we sounded smart while we talked about
2: it.
1: I would debate that point for myself.
2: Yeah. Well... I thought I sounded absolutely intelligent, so I don't know about you guys. I guess that will be for the readers to decide. Or the listeners.
0: If we even have any listeners.
2: Hi, Mom.
1: That's more the way your voice sounds, though, than actually what you're saying. Aaron has that sort of uh, grad student
0: uh,
2: tone of voice. Mm, indubitably.
0: And I sound like the score hero junkie who's like 14
2: years old. <laughs> <laughs> so on my latest YouTube video.
1: <laughs> While not looking at the screen. That's that's when I pretty much gave up on a uh, rock band and guitar hero when I saw those YouTube videos of the 8-year-old kid 100%ing those songs on Expert. Just like, yep, I'll never be that good.
2: Yeah, but I'd like to see him try and play Halo. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably really good at that, too. Yeah, he'd probably
1: own you and then call you a faggot.
2: <laughs> while he's playing Rock Band and Guitar Hero.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's moving the the Xbox controller with his feet while playing Rock Band. Whatever.
2: I, I'll
0: take that kid on in Heroes of Might and Magic 2, and I will decimate him.
2: Uh, yeah, that's true. We we lay this challenge down for anybody listening. Anybody wants to try and kick our ass in Heroes of Might and Magic 2, we will decimate you. Show them what's what in Magic the Gathering.
0: I'll make a joke about tapping my mana and they'll just stare at me blankly.
1: (laughs) You use that line with all ladies, don't you?
0: Unsuccessfully.
2: It works as well as... Uh Uh-oh, cell phone.
1: You're breaking the fourth
2: wall! (laughs) (laughs) One of our listeners is calling in!
0: (laughs) This just fell apart. Alright, let's just say goodbye.
2: Give me a second for it to stop ringing.
1: Can't you just turn it off?
2: I couldn't reach it. <laughs> okay, there we go.
0: <laughs> my atrophied gamer arms cannot reach. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. All right, well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we hope to hear from you soon.
1: Here's episode three, if we make it that far.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone. All two of you.
1: I'm pretty sure my mom doesn't listen to this anymore.
2: Oh, yeah, by the way, because my mom's listening. Uh, no, really.
0: <laughs> Big shout-out to my mom.
2: I'll be home for dinner tonight. I don't feel like meatloaf. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, guys.
0: Yeah, thanks, everybody.